say sometimes is right. Just bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. I tell you, we ought to do that forever, right? Because there's going to be a day we will. We will do that forever. And live in such a way, Lord, we, we just need you. So if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and let's open to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you would, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 6. First Corinthians chapter number six. We're going to read some things here in just a moment. Appreciate Brother Justin um, mentioning that about that ministry. That's something that kind of uh, he and Joel and I have been talking about and other people have been talking about ways that we can um, show the love of Christ and be the church uh, outside of the walls. And I know we do a lot of things around here already. I know we do soccer. We do other outreaches, different things. But it's just another way to help the helpless. I think in the book of James it says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and their times of need. And we definitely want to do that. Uh, I'm definitely not good with names for ministries. I'm glad they came up with hands and feet or hands and mouth. I'm glad he didn't say foot and mouth. That's a disease. Um, <laughs> hey, where is part of Emmanuel's foot and mouth? Does he, I mean, I think that probably just doesn't have the same effect there. I mean, it may have an effect. We may never have to minister to anyone ever again uh, with that. But... Uh, but anyhow, and uh, glad you're here today. Glad my mother-in-law is here today and uh, visiting with us from South Carolina. And uh, glad to, to get to her to be here. Uh, she is one of, if not the best cooks that um, I've ever had a part of eating and eating her food. She does a great job. I get excited. The kids get excited when honey comes to town. Honey comes to town. We're very excited uh, because of all that. And I appreciate her love and support and that she's been to me over the years personally. And we're going to look at something here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And probably in a few uh, weeks, we're going to start a series on Sunday mornings in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're not there yet. And the uh, Lord's still working on me on some things there. But, uh, but anyhow, but we're going to look at some things in Ephesians later, uh, maybe in the end of the month, the beginning of March. And uh, as we come to 1 Corinthians here, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, um, I tell you, you ever hear people ask you the question that kind of is a dumb question, but really is a good question. Are you glad that you're a Christian? Are you happy that you're saved? Do you have joy to know that you have passed from death unto life? And we're talking about spiritually. But then if I ask the question this, do you celebrate your new life in Christ? Do you celebrate that? Do you celebrate uh, the new life that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ by being a believer? doesn't mean we'll have bad times. There'll be good and bad. You know, life, we find out, is like an emotional roller coaster. And when it's not a lot of ups, it's down a long time. You know, we have times that we celebrate things. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. You know, you get to a certain age, you maybe don't celebrate the birthdays quite as much. But I have found this out. You want to know why I celebrate birthdays? I want them to keep coming. You know, I enjoy that part of it. But, you know, a lot of things we celebrate every year. A lot of times we celebrate it multiple times throughout the year. We get excited about certain things. Uh, you get excited about maybe... A, a, a hobby that you might have if you like hunting you get excited about hunting season beforehand you get excited about sports you get excited about maybe something you're going to do but i want us to look a little bit today with this idea of celebrating this new life we have in christ they say phil i've been saved for for years you know i've been saved for decades can i tell you you still have new life in christ and it's worth celebrating but before we get into this passage i want us just to stop for a moment and pray and, and i encourage you to do this i mentioned it in sunday school when we come before God's presence in his word, 
And whenever we're going to study about God and we're going to worship him, as best as we can, I think we ought to come to him clean. We ought to come to him in a way that there's nothing standing between us and God. You ever sometimes try to have a conversation with somebody, but there's always that one thing that maybe it's catching your eye or some noise in the background. You know, I think a lot of times we're not careful. We come to Sundays, we read our Bibles during the week, and there's just that thing right there that's messing with us. It may be something outside of us. It may be something inside of us that's wrong. But let's just take a moment, and uh, I'm going to lead in prayer in a moment, but I just want to ask you to do this this morning. Just pray and ask God if there's anything in your life Maybe things you don't like to think about that shouldn't be there. Ask God to, to make it right. Puritans used to say, tally it up every day, every night. Keep short accounts with God. And the idea of, of having a life that as best as we can, being open and clean with him. I'd love First John, if we confess our sin, what is it? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's go to him in prayer. O oh God, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. As you say in your word, Father, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. You say the heavens declare the glory of God. And Lord, we just this morning, and hopefully every morning, Father, we just want to proclaim the greatness of you. Lord, you are great, you are holy. And Lord, a lot of days we aren't. And so, Father, we want to praise you for being infinite. There's always more of you to learn. There's always more of you to have. There is no ending. Father, you know my heart this morning. And God, I pray you might speak through your word, not through my heart. And Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, I just pray that for every person in this room, Lord, I pray for myself, if there's sin in our lives, Lord, that, that you look at and you are disgusted by, Lord, I pray that you would bring it to the top. May we confess it. May we walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Lord, I pray for those that are here today, Father, that don't know you as Savior. Lord, if there is someone here like that, may the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ just pour out through your spirit on their heart and their mind, Lord. May they see the love of Christ for them. And Lord, for believers here today that need to be encouraged, Lord, we ask for you to give encouragement, to give direction. Lord, we need conviction, Lord. I pray you would do that in your love. Lord, I pray you might take me, use me in spite of me. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. When you come to the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing this book. And just to give you kind of a brief, very brief synopsis of 1 Corinthians, this is not a letter of encouragement. This is not one of those attaboys. Hey, good job. Everybody likes those, don't they? Attaboys, things are going good. Paul's writing to this church at Corinth, and he's pretty much scolding them and, and begging them to, to turn back to God because... You have this group of people who, who claim to be believers. They claim to be the church there at Corinth, and, and some pretty horrible things are going on inside of the church. And uh, we won't go into all of it, but the church has definitely had a lot of people with a lot of intense sin. It's kind of why later on in 1 Corinthians, you get Paul writing to them about the Lord's Supper and talking to them about taking the bread and taking the cup. And if you remember, if you've been to many Lord's Supper services, it says, you know, 
that whoever, whosoever eateth and drinketh of this bread and this cup unworthily shall be in danger of damnation. Because honestly, even at something as simple, not simple, but you know what I mean, as the Lord's Supper, they were coming, they were getting drunk. A lot of immoral things were going on. So these things where Jesus says this do in remembrance of me, this is a lot of bad stuff. And you look at that and you think about that and think, man, I would never, ever do that. Be careful when you start promoting yourself that you would never do anything. You know, it's, we're all capable of anything. We're capable of any sin that there is. We're capable of all those things. And it's only by God's help and God's grace that we don't. And he sends this letter as kind of a stern reminder of their error and then to return to going forward in their journey with Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's not a very long chapter, but six different times you read the phrase, know ye not, or do you not know, or, or, or you need to remember. When he says, know ye not, it's like he's desperate for them to know something that they should already know. There's something that should already be true in their life, something that should already be open and then be practicing and walking with, but they're struggling. They're struggling with it. I say the same time in our life, I tell you, a lot of times I don't mess up. I don't sin, if you would, in ways of things I don't know about. I know what's right, and I still choose to go in the wrong direction. And so we see here this letter and this idea of talking about how they can celebrate new life in Christ but there's things they need to remember. There's things they need to understand. And, and so we see here kind of his desperation, if you would, that their eyes would be open to certain things and that they would be right before him. And we see what Paul's saying here, and I particularly want to pick up in verses 9 through 11 here in just a moment. But this idea of celebrating Christ and remembering things and turning from things that we want to have and how we should celebrate this new life that we have in Christ. Let me ask you a question. The way you lived your life this week, did you live your life in such a way that celebrated, thank you, God, that I am a child of God? Or did you live a life this week that totally celebrates your accomplishments? Hey, let's do it the other way. Did you live a life in such a way that you just lived in the lowest parts of your life? You wallowed in what you do. And I ain't saying we don't need healing. I don't say we don't need those things. But we are to celebrate this new life we have in Christ in spite of us. And we want us to see some things here. Paul wants us to realize he said know ye not and so we're going to see some things here but the first one we have number one is this i have four points today if that helps you know where we're going or at least know when i'm stopping uh, with that but first we want to see this in celebrating new life in christ number one you have to realize who you once were number one you have to realize who you once were look in first corinthians chapter six verse nine it says know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god now when we hear that we think to ourselves well, we know that. We know the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. But he goes on to say what in the verse? Be not deceived. And then he kind of gives this list of beasts. By the way, horrible, sinful things that were going on inside of the church, okay? He says, be not deceived, verse 9, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So when I say here, realize who you once were, and you read this list, it sounds like, man, this is a church I want to visit, right? I wonder what Sundays are like at this church, right? When you read this list, and when you read this list of this kind of this sinful deception that's going on in the church, we're, we're kind of uh, tempted in one of two ways, kind of twofold here. Uh, when we read these list of things, and as I was reading these things, you were probably tempted in one of two ways. One of those was this, 
hey, I've been good all my life. I ain't guilty of none of that. I mean, Brother Phil, I got saved. I've been saved all my life. Well, first, you've never been saved all your life. Okay. Well, I grew up here. I mean, I grew up in church. Man, I've been good. I have never been, man, these things. I've never been guilty of those things. So there's a danger of pride immediately settling in. By the way, remember, at the base of every sin that we commit in our lives is pride. Every sin. Because pride is this mentality. God is not sufficient. God is not enough. I need to insert here. Or someone else needs to be inserted here. That God is not enough. And so the temptation is that. Man, I've never done these things. It kind of reminds me of that group of the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus, if he blasted anybody, he blasted the Pharisees. Well, remember as the one prayer? Remember, the, remember Jesus says, the, said the man went to the temple of the Pharisee, and he stood and looked up towards heaven, and he says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, not like this public in here. Thank you that I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. Pride. Remember the publican? But not so much lift up his face. Verse 7, be merciful to me, God, a sinner. It says, who do you think went down from that mountain blessed? The one that was honest with God about who they were, who they once were. I tell you a danger for a lot of us, and I got saved at the age of eight, so that means I've been saved for going on 33 years now. There's a danger of us start thinking, look what we are as believers, and look at those people. Look at those people on this list here that you go through here and you see. And I tell you, that's a danger of pride that will come in there. I tell you, it's not just a temptation of wondering, hey, I've been good all my life and never done any of those things. I'm not guilty of those things. I mean, I'm not perfect in those things. But the other part of that twofold temptation is this. Maybe you have been guilty of those things. Maybe you're in those things right now. And you just feel so overwhelmed by, by guilt, with fear. And you feel so unworthy because you feel so far away from God. Can I tell you this morning, friend? You're right where God wants you to be. Because when you know that you're a sinner, when you know you're far away from God, that's where the grace of God can come in. That's where the healing of God, the forgiveness of God, that's where the sanctification that we'll see in a moment, that's where it takes place. Remember, always remember this, people especially that feel like they're really good, it's hard to save somebody that's not, that doesn't believe they're lost. They don't believe they're lost, don't believe they're in need of a savior, okay? If there's a kid that's in a pool bobbing up and down like this, and you jump in to save them and bring them out, and they're drowning, to only them get out and jump right back in the pool and start going up and down, you're not their savior. You can provide salvation, but they don't receive it. Why? They don't think they need saving. Be careful of that pharisaical attitude when we read Scripture and think, God, thank you that I'm not like those people. That pride that can creep in. Man, it, it's, it's horrible that it can. But I tell you, if you're here today and you're like, Phil, <laughs> I ain't got to worry about the pride there. Phil, I'm guilty of several things on this list. Either they have been a part of my life or maybe they're currently in a part of my life. I am so unworthy. I'm so far from God. And remember that first group there, I, I want to tell you something. He's like, well, Phil, well, I, I, you know, I don't want I, I to be guilty of, of being a thief and being uh, all these different things, these uh, idolaters, adulterers, drunkards, all these things, revilers. I don't even know what reviler is, you know, or something like that. 
Can I tell you what a reviler is? I looked that up. Can you ever read verses in scripture like, yeah, that sounds terrible. I don't want to be that. <laughs> you ever read words? I have no idea what that means. I looked up what revile means. It means to criticize in an abusive or an angrily insulting manner. To criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. So everyone in that first group, so thanks God they're not guilty of those sins, I'm pretty sure that just wiped all of us out and moved us to the other side. Be careful, sarcasm falls underneath reviling. Sarcasm falls there. It's to criticize people in their words or to angrily demean someone else. Remember when it says in Scripture, when they reviled him, speaking of Christ and being beaten, those things, he reviled not means he didn't respond that way. He didn't respond back with criticism. He didn't respond back in anger. I, I tell you, there's a lot of times right there, I, th I think maybe as even a parent, I'm guilty of some reviling. I'm guilty of in such a way because of my pride is hurt, those things that are hurt. And we have to, like we say here, remember who we once were. But I love the next six words of verse number 11. And such were some of you. Now, this list in verses 9 through 10 does not sound good, and pretty much you can pick almost, if probably not all of us, in this way, some, some shape or form. We could go into really what idolatry is, but I think we've all been guilty there too a little bit. Anything that we lift up, chase after more than we chase Christ in any moment of our life. But these next six words, I love it. It's awesome where he says, and such were some of you. Remember, realize who you once were. He's saying to these Christians at this church at Corinth, you used to be these things. By the way, not for your detriment, but for the glory of Christ. Never forget who you used to be. Because when I forget who I used to be before Christ, I have a tendency not to celebrate the new life in Christ. Now, I don't want to dwell there. I don't want to live there. I don't want to have a desire for there. But it's good to remember your past. What does it say? Those who fail to learn history are destined to repeat it. And it's not to glorify self. And I tell you, if you're here in this room and you have a testimony that says, hey, man, I used to be a drunkard. Hey, man, I used to be an adulterer. Hey, I used to be uh, adulterer. I used to be all these things. But Jesus saved me. Glory to God for your testimony. But let me warn you. Glory to God in your testimony. Don't ever bring glory to self by your testimony. I've been in testimony times where people talk about what God saved them from, and I thank God, and all of a sudden it starts going back to what they did. It starts to almost come back to the part, well, praise God, you kind of pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, and you're going forward. Can I tell you, you didn't do that. You say, well, I've seen people try to clean themselves up and try to do things right to only fall back into it. You know why? Because they're doing it outside the grace of God. They're trying to do it on their own outside of God. Now, that doesn't mean when we walk in the, in the ways of God wants us to and we struggle with these different things in our life, it doesn't mean even if we're following after, chasing after, longing after Christ in the process, it doesn't mean we're not going to stumble. What does it say? A just man, a righteous man, follows seven times and what? Gets up. Why? It's hard to chase Christ sitting down. Remember Peter, when God called Peter and the different disciples, what did he say to them in the boat? Follow me. Love those two words, follow me. When you get to the last chapter of the book of John, last chapter, 
Peter's already denied Christ the three times. Just imagine that. We say that so quickly. He denied him three times. But in the moment of Christ's betrayal, crucifixion, Peter denied him. And remember when Jesus restores him? Then you got to love Peter, right? Well, Lord, what's this guy going to do? What's John going to do? Even then, it's like you just want to go, Peter, come on, boss. You know, get with it. And Jesus said, if I, if I let this guy live until I return, what's it to you? And he says those two words to Peter again. Follow me. I have those words connected in my Bible. At the beginning of new life, even after we fall flat on our face, just keep following him. Follow him. Remember who you once were. And I thank God so much for those words. It says, and such were some of you. You used to be these things. And this life used to be characterized by this, but they're not anymore. You may be in this room and you might have your life characterized by being a idolater, an adulterer, any of these laundry list of things that are given here, a reviler, whatever it is. But you're not identified as that anymore. Why? Number two. Because of what he once did. And I mean he, I ain't talking about Paul. I'm talking about Christ. Realize who you once were, and the reason you're no longer those things, and you're not identified as those things, and the reason you can celebrate new life in Christ is secondly because of what he, meaning Christ, once did. Look in verse number 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what that means? We're a very passive agent when it comes to our salvation and our sanctification. I mentioned like pulling up by your bootstraps and I'm going to go forward. I can't tell me times as a kid and even as an adult, I said, I get convicted about something. I said, I'm going to be this and I'm not going to do this anymore. And God, I promise you, I'm not going to do this. To only moments later, days later, weeks later saying, God, I did it again. God, what's wrong? I keep doing it again. I keep promising you what I'm going to do. I want to do this. I sounds a whole lot like Satan. What's the middle letter of pride? I. But instead of saying, God, won't you make me into who you want me to be? God, you deliver me from, and you fill in the blank. God, you give me the faith to do this right here. It's a lot different when Jesus is driving the bus. A lot of us, even as believers, like to be in control. And to be in the one that's in, why? Because we're in control. We feel like, hey, it, it, it's just a little, it's a little, you know, a little queasy there, a little bit feeling to, to let someone else be in control. How many of you, when you get in the car, you want to be the one to drive? Raise your hand. How many of you do not care about driving? Okay. How many of you like someone else driving you? Well, that's pride. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just kidding. How many of you, you got to be the one to drive? Raise your hand. That's me. I get in the car, if I'm not driving, something's wrong. I feel like in my world, I mean, it's wrong. And we go on a trip here, we go on a church van. I'm never jumping to those two double doors and heading to the back. I'm thinking, huh, driver's seat, here I go. Because that's what I do. I mean, that's what I feel like. Hey, I like driving. I like being in, in control. You say, well, that's because you don't like to delegate. Yeah, that's true, too. And I have to sometimes deal with this sometimes, and I don't know if any of you feel this way. It's not that I have to be, I'm the only one that can do it right. It's not that mentality. Sometimes it's, if it messes up, I want to blame myself, right? 
which even still then is saying, God, I want to be in control. I, I tell you, and I'm learning day after day, struggle after struggle, there is so much freedom and rest when you just give it to Christ and just follow him than when we're the ones that's got to take up the torch and run ahead of him. And this idea of what Christ once did for us, we're the passive agent. You know what that means in this passage here? We're not the ones that do the washing. We're not the ones that do the sanctifying. We're not the ones that do the justifying. That word washed means about forgiveness of cleansing. That word sanctified there means to be set apart or to be made like Christ. To be justified, that means to restored in order to be restored to its proper place. You know what it means when it comes to my salvation, my sanctification, my justification, all those fun little words you read in Scripture? It's, it's, I'm a passive agent. It's not what I have done. Can I tell you, if you're here today, your salvation is not based on your merit. If I asked you, do you know you're going to heaven? You said, yeah, because I have done this. Let me tell you something. It's because of solely what he has done. Christ saved me. The only thing I brought to the table was sin. All I brought to the table. Oh, you bring to the table. And realizing who you were and the idea of because of what he once did and the idea that Christ did the washing, he's the one that saves us. And sanctification is a process, isn't it? I mean, becoming more like Christ. By the way, when sanctification quits being a process in your life, you stop growing in your maturity with Christ. As I prayed earlier, God is infinite. There is no beginning and no end. You know what that means? That means there's always more of him to be had. You can learn everything you want to about me. It's not going to take you that long, okay? You can learn all my likes, dislikes, the things that make me tick. The longer we're together, you might learn a few new things. But with God, it's endless. You can never, if you lived 150 years or 1,000 years, you can continue to grow in your knowledge and the fullness of Christ because of what he once did in that sanctification and what he's doing in the sanctification process. We are just passive agents. It's because of what he once did. Because God sent his son to take on our unrighteousness, to be our savior. He died on the cross. He rose from the day grave. And he did all that so God could open our eyes to the beauty and the love of Christ. Why? So he could save us, so he could wash us, away wash our sins away by his grace to justify us so when we stand before him we don't have to stand before god one day with sin in our life we can stand before god today as the redeemed as the justified as those that are followers of christ because of what he once did because of what he's done another passage of scripture i think is a good help with that is over in the book of hebrews chapter number 10 and i know we've been going through hebrews a good bit on Wednesday nights but Hebrews chapter number 10 and this idea of celebrate new life in Christ we celebrate what he once did it says in Hebrews chapter number 10 verses 9 through 12 now just to give you an idea up to this point what he's talking about and if you've been here on Wednesday nights you know where I'm going here there's been this idea of the tabernacle and, and daily and, and whenever someone messed up, they would have to come to the, come to the tabernacle, sacri make a sacrifice. They would admit their sin and be showed where it was wrong in the law, which they, as if they didn't already know that. And then they would make this sacrifice 
Lambs had to constantly be there to be sacrificed because of sin and getting right. And look what it says in verse number 9 of Hebrews 10. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will. This is speaking of Christ. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. It means he takes away the, the Old Testament law of sacrifices, constant sacrifices, that he may establish a second. Look in verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And what's the next three words say? Once for all. Once for all. I'll go on verse 11. And every priest standeth how? Daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which what? Can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifices for sins, I love the next part, what? Forever sat down at the right hand of God. I love that the sacrifice of Christ was once for all. I'm so thankful that Christ, and there's not so much sin in me that Christ has to come back again and again and again and again to give his life on the cross for me. It says that because of the, the lambs and the sin, people would come and daily, and that's what it says in that verse, they had to daily come, daily come, daily come. But then there even was another problem with them coming, is that priests were humans. So guess what happens to the priests? They got old and they died. So you've got to have more priests come. More priests, more people. Okay, more lambs, more, and keep going on. But Jesus comes, and he says, I come to do the will of God. What? To take away that, that no longer it has to be daily, that the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Aren't you thankful today that you are who you were, I mean, you were, who you were, excuse me. But because of what Christ has done once for all now, you don't have to be that anymore. Because of what Christ has done once for all, you can say that and such were some of you. Can I tell you this morning, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, right now you're probably still in the, and such am I now. But because what Christ did once and for all, you can have that testimony, I was that. But I'm no longer that. Because of the blood of Christ, because of the sacrifice of Christ, and understanding this, that grace, that washing, that cleansing of your sins. I tell you, I fear sometimes that so many people in churches are so knowledgeable about God, but they never, and I know you hear me say it a lot, but they have no relationship with God. I think it would be foolish for us to think of the people that come in and out of this church. I, I mentioned, I think, on Wednesday night, I kind of made a list of people that at least come one, one service a month. We have somewhere between 170 and 175 people. If they all show up the same day, we're going to have fun. I know that. But we would be foolish to think that all those people are saved. It would be like putting your head in the sand. We would be foolish to think that there's not a head knowledge but never a relationship, a, a heart that has accepted Christ. This once for all. And they're still living in that, not such were some of you, but still am. And may we live and double check our lives. What does it say? I believe it's in Philippians. Make your calling and your election sure that you may know that you have everlasting life, that you may know that you have eternal life. Who cares? If you go to church every time the doors are open and enter into eternity without Christ. Who cares? 
if you trust Christ later on after a testimony or a life of being a Christian when you weren't scared about what other people might think if you come and really accept Christ who cares if all that and you enter into eternity without him who cares who cares how much money you put in the plate who cares if you serve as a deacon who cares if you teach Sunday school who cares if you pastor if you enter into eternity without what was once done for you who cares who cares what I would say this who cares who you lead to Christ I think they care what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man exchange for his soul? Say, Philly, trying to scare us, I'm not trying to scare you. It's the love of Christ that constrains us, it says in 1 Corinthians. Why? That we no longer be dead. That we no longer be such as we were. But because of what he once did, we can say, that's who I was because of Christ number three who you are now but who you are now or who you now are notice kind of the middle there of, of verse number um, 11 back there in our passage and such were some of you but ye were washed but ye are sanctified ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God you know, a verse that I like to read before we really jump into this, and you've heard me say it before, Second Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 21. We, got, we realize who we once were. We, secondly, we saw because of what he once did, but thirdly, who you, who you now are, who you are now. And talking about who I am now, you want to know who I am now? Second Corinthians 5.21. For he made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He made him, Christ, to be sin for us, so that we might be made righteous, the righteousness of God. I know you've heard me say it before, but may we never forget it. Remember whenever Jesus was standing there, remember Pilate? Who do you want? Jesus? The one that's done healing? The one that's taught? The one that's done nothing but help? Or Barabbas? Insurrection? Murder? Thief? <coughs> Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And I always just think sometimes, oh, what is the deal? But can I tell you, it's the grace and love of an almighty God that let Barabbas go, not those people. Those people didn't set Barabbas free. It was the love of an almighty father that says this. I had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so I could treat Barabbas like Jesus. And just so you know, we're Barabbas. Once again, I'm going to attack that whole pride of I've been good all my life. Think about that even in setting Barabbas free that angers you and I. What's wrong with these people? Let them have Barabbas. So that he can make Barabbas like us. By the way, there's no record ever in Scripture of Barabbas turning and saying, thank you. I owe you everything. I'm going to be a follower of you now. 
There's no record of that. For all our knowledge, Barabbas probably did the same thing and kept on going. We don't know. But even in there, who you are now, and let me lean on you and love you for a moment. Who you are now doesn't matter how long you've been going to this church. Who you are now doesn't matter how old you are, and I respect my elders, but it doesn't matter how much age, authority, knowledge you have. Who you are now is by grace of the almighty, all-loving Savior that gave himself for you. That's who you are now. And the moment you put anything else above that and lift yourself above anyone else, may I tell you, you're in danger of forgetting who you were because you've already forgotten what he once did. And may we not do that. When you read the life of Christ, it screams humility, humility, and obedience. And so when we look at this, who we now are, that means I can sit here and look before God and say, because of what he once did, who I am now is what? I'm forgiven. I'm washed. You're, you're saying, wait a minute, Phil, I'm guilty of like everything on this list up here. If you know Christ, you're forgiven. You're washed. You're made whole. You're sanctified. That means he's setting you apart. You ever sometimes, you know why sanctification is so awesome? That a God who knows who I am and what I'm capable of desires to make me like him. Why would he want to do that? Because he loves us. A love that we really can't comprehend. You wouldn't it be enough just to save us and let us just go on our way? But he says, I love you enough just not to wash you and cleanse you and to forgive you. But I want to walk with you in making you like me and like my son. I don't want you to conform. I want you to be transformed into the image of my son in our mind, in our heart, in our actions. And that's why he later on says this, what? We're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. And justified, I, I, I run by that sometimes and I shouldn't, but it's to be restored to the proper place, to be restored to where when God looks at us, he sees Christ. And we all fall short. But the idea of who we are now, we're children of God. We're children of God. And, and at the end of verse 11, it says, how has this happened? We're justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You, you kind of just think for a moment how, and I want you to try to imagine this a little bit. Think about the sin of your past. It's the deep, dark thing. Now, I want you for a moment, even as a believer, I want you to think of the things in your heart and mind that gnaw on you and draw you that you'll be honest, probably no one else knows about, and you just don't want anyone else to know about those desires, those thoughts, those things, those things we're capable of. Now, I want you to think of something. God knows all of that, and because of Christ, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. I know who I am. I don't think Rachel knows me better than anyone else. A lot of times I think she knows me better than I know myself, and that's probably true. But God knows who I really am, even now as a believer, the depravity and sinfulness that's inside of my heart and mind. Well, by the way, we all have, before we start wanting to throw rocks at Phil, okay? Um, and yet God says, but I'm going to put my spirit in you. Because I don't want you to be there. 
You no longer have to be a slave to that because you're a child of God. Love that song, by the way. What a wonderful song. Because he's got that spirit in there that's going to make us like him. Yeah, there's going to be those things that flare up. Hey, there's going to be a lot of things on this list flare back up. But that's where the spirit of God comes. And the spirit of God helps. And the spirit of God, and just keep seeking him, keep pressing, keep going forward in your life. You were these things. But now you're washed. Now you're being sanctified. Now you're justified. And I tell you, that's an awesome, awesome thing. And it leads us to our last point this morning. If we realize who you once were, and such were some of you because of what he once did, and who you are now, the last thing I have is this. What should we do now? You're here. These things were part of your life. Nothing else's sin was a part of your life. Christ once did this for us. Who we are now redeemed by the grace of God. What should we do now? I just have a couple things about it. First thing is this. Be grateful. I know some of you are right, want some really deep right there, right? Like, I feel you built all this up. What should we do now? Give me that big theological term. Gratitude. Thankfulness. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That probably wasn't the verse you were wanting to take and run with there. You were wanting something else. Like, go witness to a thousand people. Go to some remote village in the world that's never heard of Christ. And that may be God's calling on your life. But in everything you face in your life, in everything, he's worthy. He's worthy of the glory. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. What is it? Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. You say, Phil, I live my life a lot of times, and these things come back, and I get angry, and I don't like what God's doing. But I love 2 Corinthians 9, 15. What does it say? But thanks be to God for what? His unspeakable gift. Did you live your life this week? Thank you, God, for saving me. Or do you just kind of hit him up on your prayers before you ate your food, before you went to bed? Did you live this life? If, did you celebrate the new life you have in Christ by living a thankful, grateful life to Christ? We get so caught up in the mundane. We get so caught up in all these things. And we get so upset about things that we never stop and thank the God that allows us to have the things. God allowed us to do these things. I mean, it says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Philippians chapter 4, what it says, be anxious or be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and anxiety, thankfulness and anxiety don't go together in my world. But he says, you want to know how to get rid of anxiety in your life? Be grateful and thankful for everything in your life. You want anxiety in your life? Forget to be grateful. This morning, you're filled with anxiety. is probably because you've forgotten some things to be grateful. I, I know we run to him a lot. But when it's just like, Phil, it's really hard to thank God for what I'm in right now. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
Job chapter 1. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. After Job lost all of his children, and pretty much all of his wealth, and eventually his health as well. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed, thank you, how worthy is God. And we get mad when our kids embarrassed. We get mad when the temperature's not right in the church. We get mad because we're struggling with a, something in our lives, whatever it is. Nobody's told me these things, but I'm not jumping on anybody, okay? I get mad because the order of service gets messed up a little bit. My anxiety stops popping. What am I going to do now? This didn't go right with God's like, you can have the peace of God or you can have your anxiety. The way to have peace of God is interesting. The peace of God that passes all understanding comes out of a grateful, thankful heart. That he really is in control. That he really is who he says he is. And so we can do that. Glorify God this week. That's the second thing I have with that. Be grateful, but glorify God. Look in verses 19 and 20, that same chapter 6. What should we do now? We should be grateful. We should glorify God. It says in verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So if you read that, we're saved. We have the Holy Spirit live inside of us. We are this fleshly temple of where the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we need to glorify God in what we do in this temple. It means not just the things that we say in our words, but it's also in our actions. When it says you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. I have beside in my Bible this. Do you glorify God in your body and spirit? Did I glorify God in the things that I did and this attitude and emotion that's inside of me? Because I don't need to remember the gift of my spirit and the gift of my body are both given from God. Your mind and your spirit, which are God's. And I see this. Show God's grace to others. Now you say, Phil, what do you mean show God's grace to others? We've been talking about the grace of God all this sermon. God's grace and salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is what? The gift of God, right? So we've been talking about grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God in your life? Aren't you glad that you can never out the grace of God? Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is always more grace in Christ than there will ever be sin in me. And I thank God for that. But a way I can celebrate new life is to show God's grace to others. Over in the book of Colossians, I just to read this, and we're, we're pretty much done. I just want to read a verse to you. Show God's grace to others. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6. says this, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You say, Phil, well, that's talking about answering hard questions. That's talking about, no, but look what it says. How do you deal with people? Let your speech, let the things that you say be always with what? Grace. Always with grace. Can I tell you, in your life, you do not need me to show you my grace. You want me to show you the grace of God. I don't need your grace. I need the grace of God shown through you. Let me give you an example. If, if you get sick or something and you need some food, Rachel makes a really good thing called taco soup. Man, taco soup is awesome. 
She does really good with that. She, she makes a lot of really good things. Uh, chicken tetrazzini is another one of the things I like a lot. I think Darren's had that before. He likes it. And here's the thing. If we're going to bring you some food and you want some food, and I walk up and I show up and I knock on, Darren, I'm just going to use you, your door, okay, with chicken tetrazzini, and I give it to you and say, hey, here you go. By the way, it's not really from Rachel. I made it this time. He's going to be very polite until I leave. And then probably going to be, roll the way, roll, you know, just clean that bad boy. You know, he might even be kind to me. Now, I live in the house that that chicken tetrazzini comes from, but he don't want it from my hand. He wants it from the one that does it right. Can I tell you something? Yeah, amen. The people that you live with don't need your grace. Your grace has limits. Your grace has flaws. Your grace has an expiration. Remember the word revile? Remember we talked about that. To aggressively criticize, angrily offend. The people you work with, the people you live with, people you pass every day, they need you to give them the good stuff. They need the grace of God coming through you. There's not a person in this room that doesn't want God's grace in their life. Then why won't we show God's grace to other people? What if God showed you the same amount of grace today? Maybe that you showed your kids this week. Maybe that you showed your wife. Maybe that you showed the people on your job. What if God showed you in your need the same amount of grace you show other people? I'd be in trouble you want to know how to celebrate new life in Christ? Yeah, we need to have, have be grateful. Yeah, we need to glorify God. And we're really good about glorifying God in here. But a way we can glorify God out there is by showing the God's grace to those out there that need it. And by the way, don't forget, so do you. So do I. We need that grace. And there's other things we're going to say, but I'm just going to close with that. What I want you to understand is that if you're living a life today as a believer and you just don't feel any joy, any like victory, any celebration, you just kind of feel like you're floating in life, maybe you need to go back down through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, we didn't even go through the beginning of 1 Corinthians 6. These people were even suing each other, taking each other to court in church. Once again, but that website's cool. Checking that place out. But you know, when you think about it, all these things that are listed, realize who you once were. Probably the best thing some of us can do walking out this door is to remember who we once were and remember what he once did and who we are now. And we grasp that, it's going to be a lot easier to do the things we're supposed to do now in celebrating this new life we have in Jesus. Let's stand together if you would. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the time we can be together. And Lord, I just pray in my own heart and life. Thank you, God, that I can say because of Christ. And such were some of you. Such was I. And Lord, I'm very capable of running willingly right back into those same things. But Lord, thank you for that grace.
that grace that reaches me. But God, I pray you'd help us to remember who we are now in Christ. We are washed. We're being sanctified. We have been justified before you with your spirit that lives inside of this temple of flesh that we have. Father, you'd help us, I pray, to be thankful, to glorify you, to not be scared to worship you, to not be scared to glorify our Father. As the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. But Lord, may we show your grace to those that we love and those that we're around. Thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, just ask Brent to play through something. And I really don't really know what to say here in the invitation. You've heard me preach. You've heard what God has given us. But what are you celebrating today? What are you living for? know Christ as your Savior? If you don't, can I tell you, you can leave here today knowing more than heaven being your home, more importantly that Jesus is your Lord. Maybe you need to ask God to help you show a little bit more of His grace to people. Disciples ask for God to give them faith for what they were going to face. Maybe we need to ask God to give us grace for who we will face. Let's celebrate this new life. appreciate you being here today. We'll close in a word of prayer. And again, I thank you so much for coming. If you're able to tonight, come in our evening services at six o'clock. We're going to continue looking at the life of Abraham. We're at the part in Genesis where it says that God has set his face towards Sodom. And we see where Abraham begs God for God's mercy for those people. And I encourage you, if you can, to come. And if not, I hope you have a good week. But let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, Brother Rob, if you don't mind, will you close this, please, sir?